Hi guys, this is uh, Gad Saad. This uh, conversation came up in a very impromptu manner given uh, the events that are unfolding before our eyes. Today I have BJ Dichter, who is a spokesperson and an organizer for the Freedom Convoy. These are the truckers who came from out west to Ottawa that were so extremist that they sent me into hiding underneath the table. And he is one of their organizers. So I'm presuming that I'm safe in speaking to you, BJ? Uh, I guess so. And I'm assuming Justin Trudeau is hiding under the desk with you. He, he? he is. And I have to say that given that we're both hiding under the desk, the close proximity is making me a bit attracted to him. It's making me question my <laughs> commitment to my wife. But that's a discussion for another day. Uh, all right. So much to talk about. Uh, thanks for coming on. I really appreciate it. Uh, Tell us first, what is the Freedom Convoy about? What are, what are the demands? Just so that people can wade between the nonsense that's being spewed about the Freedom Convoy and the reality. Take, take it away. Um, the short version is we're looking for two things, which are end the mandates, the vaccine mandates, and uh, remove the passport for, or the vaccine passport, or as I call it, the Stasi passport, for trying to re-enter Canada. That's the simple... Uh, that's a simple request. That's all we want to do. Okay, so all the other stuff we want, uh, we won't leave until Trudeau resigns, and all the other stuff that we're reading. That's not part of the official, you know, demands that the Freedom Convoy is seeking to to, to establish. No, uh, it's not surprising. There are quite a few enthusiastic people uh, involved in the convoy who tend to uh, lash out and talk more about, you know, from the heart and their emotion. But from a pragmatic and strategic uh, perspective, no, we're looking to remove the mandates and remove the, it's called the Arrive Can app. And I told a story, I'll tell it just briefly here sure. uh, on Glenn Beck, because I'm sure you have some insight into this. The very first time I used it was last week, and I drove up to the border and I pulled my phone out to give to the border agent along with all my paperwork and my passport and whatever. And he says, oh, no, I don't need to see your COVID passport. And I said, what do you mean you don't need to see it? He said, oh, we can detect your phone, that it's when a certain proximity of the booth. So we know who you are and all your information data comes up on the screen and it's correlated with that passport. Wow. And, I, go ahead. And I just, you know, it occurred to me at that point, like, well, if they're just doing that on the border... Uh, how difficult is it going to be to expand that to urban centers across the country without us even knowing? And that's what China has. Exactly right. I, I think I saw you make that exact point on uh, Tucker Carlson at the time. Yeah. It had it had it had frozen me. I couldn't believe it. I mean, isn't isn't I, I don't know what the the term of this uh, law or uh, governmental rule isn't it that different branches of government cannot speak to each other precisely because you don't want to have a central authority that is able to kind of amalgamate everything against you. And by the anecdote that you shared, that is exactly what is happening. Yeah, I mean, I guess it depends on the perspective of who you say doesn't want that, right? right? Uh, there are certain people who might. And you know what was, was interesting? Like, th this is my regular phone. I would never put that spyware in my regular phones. I have a separate phone just for the passport and an email address I never use, nothing traceable, separate account. So it doesn't even have a SIM card in it. Yet it's still connected to the booth because I was logged into the Wi-Fi in my truck. So even with just the Wi-Fi, 
not connected to the cellular network, it still detected me. Wow. It's crazy. That, that is a bit creepy. Now, how did this whole Freedom Convoy start? What, what was the genesis? How did it unfold? Maybe you could tell us a bit about the historical trajectory of this movement. It started with a couple of truckers in Alberta, Bridget and Chris, who are friends of Tamara, who is a friend of mine. And they had this idea. They said, "Let's we're fed up. Uh, Bridget was going to lose her job, as were many people in the sector. So they decided, screw it, let's do a convoy and let's go to Ottawa like we did a couple of years ago. But let's make this the convoy of all convoys because this is our last chance. If we don't stop this now, uh, the downward slide of Canada is going to continue into extreme authoritarianism. And then we're going to have what Australia has, you know, quarantine camps and all this sort of nonsense. So they started it. And within a few hours, it started getting donations. You know, Tamara set up a GoFundMe. And I don't know, the next morning, Tamara called me and said, listen, we started this, Go, this GoFundMe yesterday and it's exploding. Please help. Come on board. Come join me. I need help with messaging and all that sort of stuff. And I said, okay, I'm on board. So then we started to grow and more people got involved and they started building a team. I mean, those people are really good in terms of logistics and building a convoy communications uh, amongst the team and, you know, all the rural communities that are driving across. And then they just, it was the most organic grassroots thing I've seen uh, in my life to grow to this scale. Wow. Now, in, in of course, when one reads the mainstream media, as I did in in trying to prepare for our uh, chat that just happened today why, we scheduled why would you do that to yourself why because you subject yourself to <laughs> because i wanted to be able to hear what they have to say so that we can contextualize then, that to what you what's happening so when i if you I, read that if i don't know you if i don't know some of the people who are part of the freedom convoy so here's what i heard from the mainstream media or you know the the, the, okay, the, the give it to me. yeah so I mean, it's we're racist it's, it's Islamophobes, whatever. Phobes. Exactly. It was basically Justin Trudeau uh, <laughs> strongly supports the right of, for people to protest. Uh, but of course, he doesn't support division and hate and misinformation and bigots and so on. So, you know, what you what you end up ha what ends up happening in these kinds of situations is you have, you know, a million people there and then someone has some symbol that is, you know, less than ideal for the message that you're trying to convey. And you don't even know if the person who is, you know, engaging in that signal is a plant or not. I don't mean to be conspiratorial, but one never knows. And then you just have to find one person who has some execrable position. And then you can feather and tar a million people as being all racists and Nazis. Uh, do you think that most Canadians understand that strategy from the mainstream media or do you think that most are falling prey to that kind of propaganda uh i think more and more people we've seen them waking up uh over the past while i think the kyle rittenhouse judgment was a big one and i think that's even amongst people who are centrist or even you know center left are starting to have extreme scrutiny towards the media and I think the media is going to be the biggest victim of all of this. So when I was on stage yesterday, I addressed uh, a couple of the controversies. Uh, have you ever seen the movie Wag the Dog? Those it, are your controversies. Oh, this is where they pretend that there is a war that's about to happen or something? Is that the movie? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 
So the uh, one of the controversies was, and they keep referring it in the fake news CBC, which is what I tell them to their faces, and they don't like it. Right. Uh, in the fake news CBC, they referred to it as the Terry Fox incident. Right. <laughs> you know what the Terry Fox incident was? Yeah, go, go. Somebody put a Bristol board on the Terry Fox statue under his arm that said "Mandate Freedom" and a Canadian flag. Wow, the controversy, <laughs> right. the hate, <laughs> right? right. Um, they also complained about the incident at the war memorial where somebody parked their truck on the war memorial, where what they did is they parked their truck in the exact same spot that the media parks in during events in that area during Memorial Day. So I think they're upset that one of our tr our trucks took their parking spot. I think that's what they're most upset about. <laughs> uh, this is the and it's it's blatant, just fake news. Even when they said, you know, our GoFundMe, they they did this thing. The Toronto Star, the CBC put out some stories saying that the GoFundMe uh, has been frozen and we can't access the camps. And we knew that. And some people asked me, let's do a press release. I said no. Let them do it. Let them sink themselves. Because once the funds are going to be released, because they do have this protocol, especially for large dollar amounts, international banking re regulations, AML laws, you know, all that sort of stuff. We had to get our lawyer and accountant and all that stuff on our team put together to get all the paperwork sorted out. That takes time. It ended up taking 10 days, and it usually takes 7 to 10 days. So while they were writing this story, the Toronto Star released it saying it's been frozen for nefarious reasons. I called Tamara. I said, by any chance, is it frozen? She said, no, I just got off the phone with them an hour ago. They're great. Wow. <laughs> so, the state of our media. What, what, what are the, since, we, since we're talking about the funds, what, what is the strategy in terms or the, the trajectory of how these funds are going to be used? The idea is it's for the cost of the journey and all costs associated with it. So, you know, fuel, food, lodging for some people, that sort of stuff. Like the money's not for us. It's just for the truckers. And there's a lot of, you know, ancillary costs associated with that and depends on how long they're going to be there. So trucks are interesting in, in that they are pretty much self-sustaining for long periods of time because you essentially have a house attached to it. Right. You have a fridge, a kitchen, all that sort of stuff. You just need to keep it fueled, and if you have an APU attached to it, you can sit there for a couple of weeks and not have to and not have to refuel, or even longer, depending on you know how you use it. So we just want to make sure all those costs are covered. And also, there's there's a spectrum of truckers. There's the younger guys who are just paying off their trucker truck. It's their first truck, and then there are others that are have been owner operators for 20 years. They're close to retirement. They they don't need it quite as badly, and a lot of them have said, well, "I'm volunteering my time. I don't need the money. Let's take care of the other guys who really need it." There's a lot of that going on. So our team that's on the ground there is just trying to decipher who's who, what, who needs what, and all that sort of stuff. But while while of course you know there's there's a, a the visual of sort of the trucker convoy coming down, you know, barreling down from from out west to Ottawa to the capital. You know, the fight that you are undertaking is not one that is largely restricted to trucker world, right? I mean, you're fighting for uh, having Canadians, whether they are neurosurgeons or uh, pet groomers, 
being free from the current sort of authoritarian, because I think a lot of people are wrongly presuming without, without thinking that you're racist and bigots and so on. A lot of people are thinking that this is somehow strictly related to concerns of truckers, whereas your fight is actually a much bigger one, correct? Exactly. Uh, a couple of things. Firstly, there's not one convoy. It was it, it started that way. But then we had a convoy coming from the Maritimes. We had two or three separate convoys coming from Quebec, uh, coming from northern Ontario. And then everybody split up because, you know, to take a, a right turn in Manitoba, there was like a five hour wait. So a bunch of them turn around, go the other direction, go up to up across three highways. So it just got all segmented and split up because Canada's Inf highway infrastructure could not handle the number of trucks. That's how overloaded it was. Right. And now we just found out about 10 minutes ago, there is a convoy stuck at one of the borders in the U.S. trying to get in. And it's so long that it's basically shut the border. Wow. It's going to take hours and hours to process these American trucks coming up. So let's drill down with, uh, you know, uh, the idea that you're trying to get rid of the mandate. So, so what... If every single one of the demands were met, what would it look like? What Where would we be? If, if Trudeau came along and said, okay, every single one of your demands are going to be implemented as of next Monday, what would that look like? Well, essentially, if we had to put it down to one word, and this is the most used word, is freedom or liberté, which is right. great. You're For the first time, you're seeing... Albertans and Quebecers right. hanging together. And for those of you who don't know Canada, that is very unusual. It's the first time in our, our country's history that we're seeing them not go at each other's throats and calling each other's name and tabarnak and this, you know, like right. there, there is a lot of animosity historically. And that seems to have gone by the wayside at this point. Um, I think what you would see is we would turn back at least to the world that it was before 2019, before COVID, because you would see uh, a lack of restrictions, um, no more, you know, face diapers. Right. I would say the only people who should be wearing face diapers are politicians because of the, the amount of manure that comes out of their mouth. <laughs> right. Particularly our transportation uh, minister, who's caused all of this, by the way. This is his file. Um, and so I think what you would see, we would get back at least to some level of civility. That's what we're looking at. There's going to be so much uh, destruction that's been caused by all of this and started well before uh, COVID. You know, I, I told the story of when I went there to out west to Saskatchewan, Alberta, just before COVID. That's what, six months before COVID. And it already looked like it had been turned into a third world country because they turned off the entire energy sector. It scared me. It was, it was right. really creepy. So we're going to go back to that, but at least that's a step in the right direction. And that shows that the Liberal Party wanted Justin Trudeau to be a global brand. Well, guess what? They got their wish. Right, right. I mean, uh, as, as you know, I'm not sure if you've had a chance to read my last book, The, the Parasitic Mind. I discuss all of the idea pathogens that result in the outcome called Justin Trudeau because Justin Trudeau is a walking manifestation of each and every one of the idea pathogens that I cover in my book. And I don't think it's because he is innately diabolical because he's a product of the educational milieu that he grew up in. And so if you are parasitized by all of these dreadful ideas, then you implement policies that are in accordance with those ideologies. 
So which of the various idea pathogens, which you may not remember what they are, so let me just mention them, postmodernism, militant feminism, cultural relativism, social constructivism, all of these idea pathogens result in downstream effects in public policy. Which of these dreadful ideas do you think is driving the lunacy and the authoritarianism associated with the COVID mandates? Uh, I would suggest all of them. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, the... What's interesting before I answer that question is, you know, we some of us know a lot of these people in office. You know, we have some connections with the parties and stuff. And one of the things a journalist who I know who covers politics across Canada said to me over the phone, he's been you know, he talks to liberals. He's not does not adversarial towards them. He said to me, you know, uh, I can tell you because I've had conversations with people in the party. If it were up to Justin, he would be right now causing a disturbance and trying to escalate this he wants that that's what he's looking for and that's why they told him justin go away we'll take care of this we're just going to sit it out so he's quite he's far more aggressive than people realize at least that's what i'm being told and that that is not unusual from what i've been told in the past so of the idea pathogens i think the whole philosophical worldview of postmodernism and cultural relativism are two things that he doesn't even understand that's what he is yeah. and that's really scary do you have you been able to, in the in the few days since this has really taken off have you been able to make meaningful contact to start some you know uh, productive dialogue with relevant members in the government or has it been completely stifled off that you know you're just, you're there they're there nobody's talking to one another um, despite the various politicians trying to virtue signal around some of the truckers, nobody we have not sp spoken with or met with any politician. We have not spoken or met with any member of mainstream media. So everything that you're hearing from them is completely fabricated or their interpretation of what's going on. So when you see a politician sitting in front of the truckers saying, I'm with the truckers and the truckers want A, B, C, or D. They have no clue because they haven't spoken to any of us. So, and that's so, intentional. So we're just sitting there and we're waiting. So we what, all the time in the world. So how do you, how do you think this plays out? Like, g g give me a sense of various trajectories and where this can go. So how, much, how, how, willing, how, long, how long are you willing to wait it out? What if they never agree to meet you? Do you just sit there through the cold winter and hope that, you know, spring comes quicker? Or what's the trajectory look like? Well, I think with the number of trucks that we have and the, no, the, the number of trucks that continue to flow into the region, uh, I think you're going to see as the city gets disrupted, the people who live there, and we've told them, we can't promise you're not, your lives are not going to be disrupted, disrupted, and hopefully you understand why. There's going to become a point, a choking point, where resources are going to start to become very scarce and the government is going to have to act because people within the city of Ottawa are going to demand that something be done. Right. Um, the, also, the interesting thing as well about trucks is unlike having a sit in or a protest, it's mobile. Right. So with a truck, you don't necessarily have to sit in one spot to cause massive disruptions that can have a ripple effect all the way outside of the city. So we have a, a number of different strategies. 
And the number one thing is we all have lots of time on our hands. And also because there's so many trucks, some of them need to go out and work. Like they still need to work a little bit. They may be able to take a pay cut to participate. So there are trucks who've, you know, branched off from the convoy who live, you know, locally in Ontario, Quebec, whatever, that are going out for two, three days, four days, doing a couple of runs and coming back and to relieve, relieve people who are doing, you know, the sit-in shift now. And there will be a constant rotation. So we can keep this going forever if we really want to. I'm going to ask you next to speculate, so I, I, I know that you don't have a you know definitive answer to this, but I've recently asked, it of, asked this question of several guests, and I'm curious to know what your opinion is. So if I were to tell you, uh, BJ, look, there are two possible explanations as to why governments in general, and Canadian government in particular, are doing what they're doing. Because, I mean, Canada is in a unique situation in that in the in the severity of the mandates and the lockdowns, we're 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 at yeah. the more severe end of things, right? Whereas you know, yeah. y- yesterday in the uh, championship games in the NFL, people there are seventy thousand people huddled over top of one of each other in you know in Kansas City or in LA. Uh, you know, we're still until yesterday under lockdown and curfew. It's only today that they opened up uh, the restaurants and the cafes. It's been over a month in Quebec, so we tend to score on the high end of the severity of the lockdowns. So here are the two factors that I want you to tell me which one you think is more operative. So factor one would be, look, all of these governments ultimately are trying to come up with public policy decisions in a very complex world using some kind of ad hoc seat of the pant, you know, methodology. They get things wrong. And so it's largely due to ineptitude, but it's innocent ineptitude. Number one. Number two more nefarious, more sinister. Uh, No, this is a, you know, so there are two types of sinister explanations. I'll lump them together for now. It's the Devos globalist. This is an opportunity for the Great Reset or it, it is more localized. It is an opportunity for each national government to use this uh, you know, disaster to take greater control. And so if I ask you to allocate 100 points of weight to these two. So for example, if you think the first one is 70 points, the second one is 30, how would you allocate how much of these two factors are driving what we're seeing? Well, I think I would argue the the points vary. So the points that would be attributed to somebody like Justin Trudeau will have more weight to everybody else, let's say in the Liberal Party. Okay. And I have a, a good friend who was very much part of the Liberal Party for many years. And he, uh, you know, he, uh, shortly after Justin got elected, he realized he was sold a bag of goods. And I make fun of him every single day that I see him for him and th- say thank you for this. So I think it's a combination of uh, multiple things. There are people within uh, political parties, the Liberal Party. They'll just go along to get along because they want opportunity, political opportunity or a future in uh, in politics. And they tend to be the younger ones. But then you have the... Justin Trudeau is kind of an airhead. He doesn't. Uh, this is from uh, a very senior official within the um, the Liberal Party who explained this to us. He has no involvement. I've been trying to tell this people people this forever. He has no idea. You know, he has no idea what uh, he doesn't watch the news. He's kept completely isolated. He doesn't make policy decisions. He had no interest in politics. So what they've done, if they decided 
he's going to be, and he let it slip one time, the relationships manager. So he's the actor. They want to go say something. They say, Justin, talk about A, B, and C. And he goes, goes and does it. That's why it seems so incongruent. He'll talk about things in a time that just make no sense and anger people because he has no idea. Now, the team around him, his best friend, Jerry Butts, he essentially runs everything with Katie Telford, Omar Algebra, Navdeep Baines. They are the ones who is no longer there. And Eric Hoskins is now the, the, uh, the new replacement. So he is just a mascot. We're dealing with a team of authoritarians who are not only authoritarian, but opportunist. I would argue that Jerry Butts is an extremist which is why Trudeau comes off as an extremist. He just tells him, go here, do that, say this. I got your, bro- I got your back, brother, because they're best friends. But extremists right? along which ideology? What's the purpose of whatever it is that they're trying to institute on the Canadian public? What, what is the ultimate goal? What? Oh, co- collectivist ideology. Okay. Right? And, and that does align with the goals of, you know, Klaus Schwab, which I jokingly say, well, we for the third time we have a a left-wing German who's going to save the world. What could go wrong, right? Um, and, uh, you know, our, our finance minister is on the board of the World Economic Forum, right. as is Andrew Scheer, the former leader of the Conservative right. Party, as is Michelle Rempel, an MP who I used to be good friends with. Yeah, she's, so she's, she been, she's been on my show. Yes. Yeah, and then she went to Davos, and then she came back and started apologizing for being a cisgendered white female. I did see that. That did surprise me. Yes. She's crazy. Uh, so, you know, much like Mao, or sorry, Lenin took over by propping up the degenerates, and then Mao took over by propping up the degenerates, we live in a society where these people globally are trying to institute policy, so it seems, to prop up the degenerates and cause conflict. And, you know, politicians will go where the donations money for their campaigns are. That's how it works. That's how they buy the influence. It's not like in the movies, there's a bag of money. That, that's not how it works. It's donations to campaigns and opportunities to sit on boards of companies. That's what they're getting. Wow. Now, I, I, as, as you know, BJ, because you've known me for many years, uh, I, I hate to sort of toot my own horn, but I, I was one of the early guys who repeatedly warned the world about Justin Trudeau before he became prime minister. And I famously went on several high profile shows, most notably on Joe Rogan, where I uh, talked about Justin Trudeau and how. So, so I, I mean, I'm well aware about some of the psychological reasons that drove people to vote for an empty vessel, a vacuous <laughs> piece of g- pile of garbage. As a matter of fact, a few days ago, I put out a tweet. You may or may not have seen it. There's an expression in Arabic, and many people ask me to explain how phonetically you, you say it. So I'll say it here since you can actually hear me pronounce it. In Arabic, there's an expression that says, Balatame. Balatame means someone who has no substance, no taste, no, right? They're, they're so vacuous. They're such an empty sack of platitudes that they you couldn't taste them right it's a really powerful <laughs> arabic is a very powerful language and so balatame yeah. refers to justin trudeau but let me ask you since you you know you've been involved in canadian politics beyond what's happening now with the freedom convoy you've been at it for many years and you know you have insider knowledge what do you think explains the fact that canadians weren't hoodwinked once weren't hoodwinked twice 
but were hoodwinked three times. Now, I understand it was a minority of Canadians. That's our parliamentary system. But nonetheless, three times, this utter empty suit has been able to sit as Prime Minister of Canada. Is it something endemically wrong with Canadians that we keep making the same mistake? And when I say we, I don't mean you or, you or me. I mean Canadians collectively. Um, no, it's because there's no opposition. So you have... You have your main parties for for those people who are not in Canada. Your the NDP, the Liberal Party, and the um, and the Conservative Party. It's really the Conservative Party and the Liberal Party are the only ones that have a chance to ever get an election. The NDP is there as a tool for the other parties yeah. to swing votes in uh, in other directions. But what's happened is the Conservative Party, my party, who I would never vote for right now, by the way, and didn't vote for in the last election and the election before that. They have been doing their very best to chase communist Justin off a cliff. And I remember having a strategy meeting with them many years ago, uh, many years, several years ago. And I said to them, like, if you want to go this direction and you want to be more, as I worded it, libertarian on social issues. Right. I'm with you. But don't chase them off a cliff. That's exactly what they've done. The reason they've done that is because the same lobby firm that controls the Liberal Party also controls the Conservative Party now. So look at it this way. This particular firm, this is one of them, but there's there's only a small number of them. This particular firm I'm thinking of, it was co-founded by two people, uh, four people, two are Conservatives, and the other two are Katie Telford and um, uh, Rob Silver. Katie Telford is Justin Trudeau's chief of staff. So her lobby firm is controlling the Conservative Party in terms of, you know, not authoritarian control, but policy directives and think tanks and university studies and all this nonsense that you see in universities. You know, when the, the urban planning department comes with a study for a think tank that says 99 point, sorry, 109% of Canadians want bicycle lanes in the middle of rural Alberta. No, we have the data. We can show the polling, right? Well, that makes its way up the chain to these lobby firms who then help turn that into public policy. And nobody in this mechanism has the wisdom, the moral will, and the moral skill to say, wait, that doesn't sound right. Right. And that's the, so they're all vacuous. Aaron O'Toole is just a bald, ugly version of Justin Trudeau. Right. But actually, is, go ahead, go ahead. Finish your point. Uh, much like we like to joke that uh, Justin Trudeau is an airhead, Aaron O'Toole is known in the legal community as an airhead. That's why he never made it uh, in the legal community. That's why he went into politics. I, I was going to say that, uh, and, and, and I hate to say this because it, it's uh, disconcerting what I'm about to say. And I've actually written scientific papers on this. Look, most people use simplifying heuristics when they're choosing between political candidates. And what I mean by that is that while you would like to think that uh, when we're choosing something as consequential as who's going to lead our country, we're looking at all of the policies and we're weighing them and we're looking at each candidate on where they fall on monetary policy and fiscal policy and immigration policy, most people don't do one millionth of that. They rely on 
what are called peripheral cues. So for example, in chapter two of the parasitic mind, when I talk about thinking versus feeling. So Justin Trudeau appeals to me. I'm speaking now as the average, naturally lobotomized Canadian who voted for him. Uh, Justin Trudeau is tall. He's young. He looks sweet. I, by the way, on my Facebook page, my personal Facebook page, if you saw the number of middle-aged female professors who were saying things about him, which if a male professor had said about a female candidate, they would have been canceled. But it was perfectly okay for those female professors to say how dreamy he was. So it, so I don't, so as, as the average uh, Trudeau voter, I don't have to uh, you know, go through the burdensome task of worrying about what his policies are. He just looks young, vibrant, cool, hip, and therefore that's good enough for me. I'm going to say something else that it might sound as though I'm being facetious, but I'm not. Most people yeah. say liberal sounds right. I'm a liberal person. Conservative yeah. sounds old school. I don't like homophobia. Conservatives are all racist homophobics. It's at that level of thinking that most people operate. So is there a way for us to convince people that the decisions that you make when you go to the ballot box have to be taken more seriously? Because otherwise, tomorrow there'll be another Justin Trudeau that comes along, just like there was Joe Biden, just like there was Kamala Harris, just like there was Barack Obama. Remember, Barack Obama, to all of my super progressive smart colleagues, he is fantastic because he is tall, he is thin, he's lanky, he has a mellifluous voice, he speaks with the cadence of a Southern Baptist minister. Every single syllable he utters is a platitude sack of shit, but my God, is he intoxicating and alluring. On the other hand, Donald Trump, with whom I might agree on every single one of the substantive policies, I detest him, he's disgusting, he's an ogre, he's vulgar, he's fat, he's cantankerous. So I think therein lies the problem. It's the psychological weakness of people not being able to allocate the right cognitive resources to make the right decision. What are your thoughts? I think you're uh, completely right. Uh, I have a friend. He's one of the three people at the CBC with a functioning brain. And it's very interesting to hear the stories he tells me of what goes on in there. Like, for example, they have instructions how to use the washroom now during COVID, right. if you're in this, I can send you a picture of this. If you're in the stall and somebody walks in the washroom, there's instructions on the back door of the stall. If somebody walks in, you're not permitted to leave the stall until that other person leaves the washroom. Wow. That's, that's the ridiculousness of these people, right? Um, so yeah, I think there's, uh, there's, People are, they, they, you would know more than anybody, people do not make decisions based on data or information. People make decisions based on their emotions. And my friend at the CBC, the reason I tell you that story, I asked him once, I said, let me ask you about white privilege. Now, we all know Prime Minister Blackface identifies as African-American. Exactly. We know that. But he's actually he's actually white. So why does he get away with it? And he said, oh, he's attractive. <laughs> what do you mean? He's attractive. If you're attractive, it's okay. You can be white and be attractive. That's fine. The minute you're not, then, you know, you're the scum of the earth. I said, really? That's what you think? He said, yeah. That is, uh, that's the nature of it. Now, what's the cure? I, 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 I don't know, but I have some ideas. I think, you know, I suggested to you once 
that I have hope because we're entering, I think, the golden age where the academics, the intelligent people in this world, like yourself, Stephen Higgs, Jordan Peterson, Scott Adams, uh, are building huge platforms. And what do you do? What are you guys doing? You're educating the regular person in disciplines they would never have access to. So for the example of truckers, like there's the reputation of the trucker that that's, you know, hardened, not intellectual, whatever. Some of those guys are quite bright. Oh, yes. They spend a lot of time in their trucks, relaxing, watching YouTube. And you know what? They watch people like you and they're learning. So I think the more we go down this path and people like I am a big fan of Scott Adams. Why? He's teaching people how to think. Yeah. He's talking to people that disagree with him. He's saying, I know you disagree with me on this. This is why you disagree. This is my perspective. We can disagree and move on. And that's what we're going back to. So I, I do think we are on the crust of that golden age. We just got to get there. And it starts with getting people like Trudeau and others like him out of the political system and out of the media. And the media is no better, right? right. And I gave the example with CBC. You know, I, uh, I've, I've often said this, but it's worth repeating given that I'm talking right here with a spokesperson of the truckers convoy. One of the things that excites me the most of the, I mean, literally thousands and thousands of messages that I receive in a given week or given month, sometimes in a given day, are the emails of appreciation from quote the great unwashed from the rubes yeah. from the yeah. from from the deplorables because there is an authenticity to them that regrettably mm -hmm. I don't find uh, in many of my academic colleagues and and I don't mean to frivolously you know denigrate my colleagues of course they are wonderful colleagues that I have but in general I've noticed that many of my colleagues are truly believe uh, that they are the anointed class that they. You know, and that's why many of them don't like to. I mean, many of them, if you contacted them the way you know you were kind enough to reach out to me, would say, "Well, why, why should I talk to this guy?" Whereas for me, on the contrary, I think if I may speak of myself, one of my appeals is precisely that I don't exude that you know right. aura, right? And and so when I receive an email from a corrections officer, from an army ranger, from a Navy SEAL, from a trucker. I'm actually more excited that I was able to reach them than if I reached a guy at Stanford, even though last week I was invited and I spoke at, at Stanford remotely. So so th there is an authenticity to the guys who are delivering our foods, who are protecting us from the bad guys and so on. And that if you can find the message as an academic to reach such a large swath of people, then I think you're, you're onto something. And so... When I was with um, one of the people I was with yesterday was Tom Quiggin, one of my podcasters, yes. and he said it best. He said, my dad always taught me growing up, every person in this world knows something you don't. Oh. Might be something small, right? Yeah. But they know something you don't, and you can learn from everybody. Exactly right. You know, and one of the things that uh, makes me turned off about someone when I speak to them is when I – so. Look, if you look at Joe Rogan, one of the reasons that he became a success that he is is because he's a good conversationalist. Whether you like him, you don't like him, you like his positions, he, he gives you a forum whereby he brings a whole range of people and then, and then he's got the epistemic humility to step back and listen. Yeah, of course, sometimes he can weigh in and say the wrong things, but he, he listens. Whereas I, look, I'll, I'll tell you, I've got family members in my own family, my nuclear family, not, not my wife mm -hmm. and kids, but my family of birth 
where these some of those folks will lecture a cardiologist about the heart, will lecture a dentist about the teeth, will lecture a professor, right? So they'll they'll talk me, they'll talk down to me as though I was a, a lobotomized <laughs> moron who is borderline failing grade one math. They know better than you in everything. That to me is one of the ugliest possible traits because exactly as you said, one of the things that I love about bringing guests on is I know that I'm going to learn tons of stuff. One of the things that I love about my study is that there are all these books that I've yet to read. And if only I could magically have the necessary time to read all that knowledge that I still don't know, my God would be great. So epistemic humility is at the core of intellectual curiosity. A hundred percent. I personally am addicted to like I made a deal with myself when I was 16 years old. If I'm ever going to watch TV, it's not as the idiot box. Anything I watch, I'm going to learn. Yeah. Whether it's Discovery Channel or it doesn't matter. You know, I just got addicted to it. And uh, it's amazing how that can expand your life. Just, you know, reading books, things you never you never dreamed or had interest in. You read about it and then, boom, that becomes a new interest. And that goes on the list for next year of something to get into. Gotcha. And I, I, that's what the Internet has also given us, right? <laughs> so I, I have hope. Uh, one or two last questions. We were going to go much, much less time, but we ended up going much. I, I hope that you're okay in terms of time. Uh, I want to come back to the truckers uh, uh, convoy for just a minute or two to kind of wrap it up. Uh, the demographics of the folks in question cover everything, right? We've got conservatives, we've got liberals, we've got gay people, straight people, uh, people of color, white people, people who are for vaccine, people who don't, right? There isn't some homogeneous archetype of what constitutes members of the truckers convoy. Is that correct? That's right. You have people, all Canadians, who've been locked in their homes for two years who are fed up and they just want to taste freedom. And I explained that on one of the interviews I did, I, I walked to the Quebec border, you know, that bridge um, behind sure. the Parliament building? And it was amazing. I'll always remember this moment. I walked back with them doing the pilgrimage into Ontario, surrounded completely by Quebecers, many of them who didn't even didn't speak any English, into Ontario for them to meet they're Albertan and Prairie brothers from Canada, almost for the first time. That unification that Canada never really experienced because that's what happens when the media and politicians get out of the way. Beautiful. And we see people with, you know, the, the kind of hippie peace and love signs because we're trying to send that message. Everything to, you know, Christian pastures, uh, all sorts of, it's amazing. The, the entire Sikh community has come out in mass, and they're not exactly friends of Jack Mead Singh right. as well, which is hysterical. Um, to to say that you know I'm part of the truckers, I'm part. I came here for freedom. We had a, a video from a Muslim trucker truck driver, I think he's Pakistani, yesterday, that we put up, and he said, "I came to Canada for freedom, to be a Canadian, uh, to be amongst all of you, and to love all of you, and all that sort of stuff." And I've been frustrated to see what's been happening to my country. And I'm glad to see, you know, a message of unity. It's been beautiful. It's really, for all of us, has been heart-wrenching sometimes and really difficult to look at. May this be the tipping point that uh, returns us back to the beautiful Canada that I was lucky enough to come to in 1975. Keep up your fantastic work, BJ. Please make sure that 
it doesn't divulge in any way into violence because we want to win this battle of ideas peacefully and not through violence. But I'm sure you already know this. Uh, thank you so much for coming on the show. Stay on the line so we could say goodbye officially. And if there's any way, guys, that you'd like to support this endeavor, uh, I will put a link at the bottom of the description of this uh, clip, and then you can support the, 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 the endeavor in any way that you can. Thank you so much, BJ. Thank you, Kev. Cheers.